0: Last time we started talking about some of the methods of interpretation that people use or have used throughout history. Uh, just for review, we talked about the Jewish method, which started out okay. Um, they looked at the text, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 8, where the, Ezra read the, the law in Hebrew and the, uh, the uh, Levites interpreted it for the people into Aramaic so they could understand it later on when the rabbis took over they kind of went south on that and started getting a little allegorical and symbolic in their understanding of scripture and then we went into the allegorical method which sees things as symbolic rather than actually what it says and so they apply a meaning that really isn't in the text Uh, and i thought of an example of that I couldn't think of one last week except the Cotton Patch Gospel, which is not exactly the uh, allegorical method, but uh, some denominations, when it comes to end-time things, eschatology, uh, have an allegorical approach to interpreting Scripture. So the tribulation is not a literal seven-year period of of suffering and judgment, but it's rather just a, a symbol of our sinfulness. Okay. And the millennium is not a thousand-year period of righteousness. It's just a symbol of our righteousness. <laughs> and they believe that there isn't going to be any suffering, you know. If the church is eventually going to get just better and better and better, and so we just are ushered into the heavenly state. So they take all of those statements in Scripture about the tribulation and the, the millennium and make them symbolic of something else. That's allegorical method. Uh, after the allegorical method, we talked about the literal method, which is word for word. It takes the text for what it says, and whatever it says, that's what it means. So they don't take into consideration the different forms of literature like poetry and prophecy, and because you have to approach each of those differently. <laughs> you can't approach them the same way. So they just look at They forget all that. They just look at the words. <clears throat> Then we looked at the devotional approach, where the the emphasis is more on application, how this passage affects you personally. And they don't get into the meaning of the text either. It's kind of a a combination of the literal and the allegorical. Literal because they look at the words, allegorical because they apply it, you know, you apply it to yourself, (laughs) to your own spiritual condition or situation or whatever. So they never do get to the meaning of the text and that brings us to the liberal method and as i mentioned last week we're going to spend some time on this one because this is the first method of interpretation that actually started out as an attack on scripture it was developed in order to prove that the bible is not accurate It came out of liberalism some people are going to say you know we're going to talk we're going to talk a lot about liberalism and of course people are going to say well the liberal approach to interpreting scripture is not the same as liberalism because liberalism is a philosophy this is an approach to interpretation that's true but this approach comes out of liberalism so there is a connection there right? So we're going to spend a little time on this because this is an attack and you need to be aware of this if you're going to be able to deal with this issue. So we want to look at the history. Um, This is usually called German higher criticism. Uh, Not because the Germans started it, but they kind of developed it, we'll get into that. Some people call this German rationalism, you may hear it by that name. And that works, but I don't. I don't like the term rationalism in this context because it's not specific enough. There are different kinds of rationalism. The word rationalism comes from reason, and basically, rationalism says you can figure out you can figure out what the Bible means using your own brains. You don't need any help. So the the Germans applied reason to understanding Scripture because they denied that it was divinely inspired in the first place. We'll get into that. But there are other kinds of rationalism, like there is religious rationalism, which sounds like a contradiction, but um, Middle Ages, let's see, who was the guy? Thomas Aquinas came up with the idea, or at least he was one of those who believed that Scripture is divinely inspired and given to us by God, but you can figure it out if you just think about it. (laughs) <laughs> you can use your brain to understand what it means and that's I can understand that because this process of hermeneutics is a rational process you're applying these these steps you know in sequence in order to get the meaning of the text so that is a rational approach and he and others like him said now, the passages where you can, no matter how much you think about it, you can't figure it out <laughs> You can with your own brain. It says those we just have to accept as true because they came from God. So it's kind of a blend of things there. So I like higher criticism better than rationalism because rationalism seems to be a little vague. Higher criticism is more specific. So what is higher criticism? Obviously the term higher is going to imply a lower. And you have both. You have higher criticism and you have lower criticism. One way to think of it is, higher criticism deals with issues that are above the text or outside the text. And we'll see how that goes here. If you can see that. It deals with the uh, influence of the uh, historical or cultural context on the writers they apply the Germans they started out by saying the Bible is not inspired there is no God so the Bible is not inspired it's just a purely human book and so if you're going to understand it you have to look at the cultural and historical context in which it was written because everybody writes from their context they usually write in response to their context so if you want to know what they said and why they said it and what they meant look at the context now in a sense that's a good place to start okay unfortunately that's where they leave it (laughs) when they start out by denying that there is any kind of supernatural any kind of inspiration um, they have problems which we'll get into (coughs) Um, I guess part of the rationale for, for looking at the historical context and cultural context that there are three levels of philosophy. There's the theoretical level, which is your philosophers throughout the ages, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all the rest, where you study their ideas, what they thought. That's theoretical philosophy. Then you have cultural philosophy, where the people put their ideas, their philosophy of life, into usually art—you know, literature, movies, books. You know, they express their philosophy in those ways. That's a cultural level. And then you have the practical level, where people live, where they live out their philosophy. And you'll find that many people don't live according to what they say they believe. <laughs> they, they compartmentalize. You know. um, so we're dealing with the cultural level of philosophy. So that's where they start. You know, if you want to know what they're thinking, you know, what they're saying, look at the cultural context that influences them. So the Bible is simply a man-made book. It's literature. So you analyze it as you would analyze any piece of literature. Now it's not wrong to do that as long as, that's, as long as you don't stop there because there's more to it than that. <clears throat> so that's higher criticism. It deals with the bigger issues, not the text itself which brings us to the lower criticism, which deals with the text itself, where you examine the manuscripts. Um, How old is this manuscript? Is this a copy of a copy of a copy or just a copy of a copy? (laughs) How is it different or similar to other manuscripts? And what is the likelihood that this is accurate? That's all the lower criticism stuff. So, the German higher critics focused on those bigger issues. <clears throat> but you will run into both of these.
1: Is there a middle
0: ground? No <laughs> No, I think that kind of covers it. you know I think you have a, the context in which it was written, and then you have what was written. I don't know that there's a ground in between the, the two. So let's look at how this developed this higher criticism. Actually, it started in France in the mid-1700s. A guy by the name of Ostrich, I don't remember what his first name was, he began questioning the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses, the Torah. Pentateuch is a Greek word, penta meaning five, and Tuk meaning book, so five books. (laughs) So Pentateuch, Law, all the same thing. <clears throat> he just began to wonder if Moses could have written all of that. So he he began to have some doubts about that. The Germans developed it in the 1800s, throughout the 1800s, and it was uh, <clears throat> influenced by Darwinian evolution. Evolution is not a new concept. Darwin didn't come up with it. In fact, he stole the idea from a lot of other people, but never gave them credit for it. <laughs> he wanted to take the credit for. Way back in ancient Greece, I think it was Democritus, had a theory of evolution. He said that uh, all the things we see around us are formed by atoms that just sort of grab onto each other randomly. They're floating around in the air and they bump into each other and stick and another one comes and sticks and, and pretty soon you have a rock or you have a tree or you have a bear or something like that. That was his idea of evolution. Uh, but the late 1700s, early 1800s, people began to focus on another way of looking at life besides Scripture, because up till then, the Bible was it. <coughs> it's, it's kind of started taking off with Lyell, a guy by the name of Lyell, who was a geologist, and he looked at all these layers of rocks in the Earth's crust and just thought one day, you know, it must have taken hundreds of thousands of years for each of those layers to be deposited. He didn't have any evidence for it, just an idea popped into his head. And Darwin saw that and said, well, if it could work for geology, it could probably work for biology as well. (laughs) So he began to put his ideas together that life developed on Earth slowly over minute changes that gave organisms... A greater chance of surviving and they pass those advantages on to their offspring and so things developed eventually from one animal into another and you end up with us. Again he wasn't the first one to come up with that idea. So their concept of um, Scripture and the writing of Scripture is based on the, the idea of evolution, that things go from a simple form to a complex form. We know from science it doesn't work that way, but that's what they thought. <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it it in, infiltrated American churches the late 1800s, me, <clears throat> early 1900s, by now it's not so much being called higher criticism anymore now it's starting to be called liberalism (laughs) and we kind of need to define terms Uh, conservative basically means well to conserve to maintain what you have liberal wants to change things so conservatives want to hang on and liberals want to change (laughs) we practical example of a liberal mindset <clears throat> years ago at school we had a, a new person came in and started working for us in the reading and writing lab and uh, we were at the computer at the check in computer where students came in and checked in to do their lab work and we were trying to get the computer to do something I can't remember what it was we were being careful about what we did because we don't want to mess anything up you know and so this person walks by and Says, what are you doing? And we explained what we're trying to do. We, we couldn't figure out which key to push. He says, "Oh, just push them all." Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> and then watch the computer start to smoke. You know?
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: well, that's kind of a liberal idea. You know, just no holds barred. Just you know, whatever you want. <clears throat> so, liberalism basically means change, and the mainline denominations in america began to accept this liberal idea that the scripture was not inspired that it was just a man-made book and so they began to deny or to doubt the authenticity the inspiration authority of scripture excuse me uh, our own denomination came out of that conflict. If you're, I don't know if you're familiar with the history, of the GRBC, the Northern Baptist Convention uh, began to hold to this liberal idea that scripture was not inspired or authoritative, and some people, a lot of people in the movement said, "Wait a minute! If you don't have a, an authoritative scripture, you don't have a basis for anything else you believe." <laughs> it's foundational you can't just kick that out the window so they separated from that liberal going liberal denomination and set up their own and they call themselves regular Baptists, meaning we believe what baptists have always believed the regular doctrine unfortunately they took it a little too far and became very legalistic and the separation was the word of the day you know so you don't deal with anybody who isn't grbc because they don't have the truth we have the truth They don't. That was way off base. But that's how the denomination started. A response to the liberalism. And people like that began to be called fundamentalists because they were hanging on to the fundamentals of the faith. Unlike the liberals who wanted to change all of that. And because they had such a a strong conviction to hang on to the fundamentals, people started, especially the liberals, started to use the name fundamental as a pejorative. (laughs) That's a bad name. You know, oh, you're just a fundamental, meaning you're closed-minded and hard-headed and all that stuff. And unfortunately, some people were like that. (laughs) But the, the idea of fundamentalism is good. Any honest... Scientist is a fundamentalist because he's dealing with the fundamentals of science, and you can't avoid those, or you're going to be way off in whatever you do in your science. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Terry, there's a series of books that were written, I think in the 19 teens, um, that was called The Fundamentals mm-hmm. by a series of prominent writers
1: at the time. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. That so was all related back to this. Right. So they were just re-emphasizing the fundamentals, this is the truth, you know, this is what we have always believed, don't fall for this liberal nonsense. But higher criticism began to fade in the late 1900s, middle 1900s probably, because of scientific evidence. The higher critics back there in Germany in the 1800s, one way they were attacking Scripture was to point to things in Scripture that they knew nothing about. The Hittites, for example, the Bible mentions the Hittites, and the German critics were saying, "No Hittites, <laughs> we have no evidence of Hittites. That's nonsense. You know, the Bible can't be true. It talks about the Hittites. There never were any Hittites." Guess what? the archaeologists found the Hittites <laughs> up there in what's now Turkey. They, you know, had an expansive empire back 1600 BC or something like that. Huge empire. So the higher critics just <laughs> you know, were proven wrong. And time after time after time, that same thing happened. And so people started to distance themselves from higher criticism because it was being proved wrong. Unfortunately, <clears throat> other forms of liberalism replaced that. And so the impact is still felt today. We get into things like neo-orthodoxy, which we'll talk more about in a minute. <clears throat> yeah, neo, because it's a new form of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means the basic truth. Okay? And this is the new basic truth. Which means it's nothing like the <laughs> old basic truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's like um, the so-called new morality they came up in the late 60s, early 70s, which basically said you can do whatever you want. And somebody pointed out that the new morality is really nothing but the old morality <laughs> with a different, the old immorality under a different name. So we're still dealing with liberalism, but it's not called. Higher criticism anymore. It's the same basic thing, but it's not called right. <clears> that. So, basic principles. We looked at the history. The basic principles of this liberal view of scripture is based on, again on evolution. The idea that things go from a simple form to a complex form. I shouldn't specify Darwinian evolution, because hardly anybody believes in Darwinian evolution anymore because it's nonsense. (laughs) I'm in the middle of reading a book now. I'm almost done with it. On Darwin's biography, it's called Charles Darwin, Victorian Mythmaker. (laughs) And I thought, that's an interesting title. It's a huge book. I finally found out why he named it The Mythmaker, because Darwin, in providing the theory of evolution, gave the Victorians, late 1800s, a new myth to live by. He calls the Bible a myth, you know, Adam and Eve and all of that stuff and sin and redemption. He said, you don't need that. It's just a myth. He said Darwin gave them another myth, a, another story of reality um, that they could believe in. But unlike the Bible, which was kind of restrictive, you know, you shall not, you shall not, you shall <laughs> uh, Darwin's myth of evolution gave them freedom to do whatever they want because there is no God, there is no accountability, so he gave them a new myth to live by and I appreciate this guy's approach, he's still an evolutionist he still believes in evolution but he's he's open enough to show where Darwin was way off base, and he almost makes fun of it, I mean, some of the things he says about Darwin's mistakes you, you think, ooh, <laughs> I'm glad Darwin isn't here to hear that. So this is Darwinian evolution, where things go from simple to complex, which, of course, science shows that everything works the other way around. Things run down, they don't build up. Second law of thermodynamics. The first law says you've got a certain amount of energy in the universe you're not getting any more, and you never lose what you have. It changes form, but you never lose it second law says that energy that you have is dissipating not that it's going away but it's getting more and more or less and less useful like you light a match and the heat and the light from the match eventually go away you know it doesn't disappear you just can't heat anything with it anymore (laughs) because it's cooled down um so things go from a state of complexity and usefulness to a state of randomness and unusefulness if that's a word it reminds me of this story i think i told you this joke before some of you are here a couple of guys attending a science conference and the speaker was saying that that the sun was burning out it's you know all that energy in the sun is dissipating second law of thermodynamics and eventually it's going to go cold he said it's going to take about 5,000 years. So one of these guys just starts to panic. Oh, no, the sun's burning out. What are we going to do? You know, We need the sun. You know, And the guy, his friend, looks at him and says, relax. He said 5,000 years. And the guy says, oh, what a relief. I thought he said 500.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's a second law okay, of thermodynamics. So these are the basic principles. Um, First, modern man knows more than those who wrote the Bible. Therefore, if they say something that doesn't agree with what we know, they must have been wrong. Way back then, these people were primitive. They're not as smart as we are because we're higher on the evolutionary scale. So we are smarter than they were. We know things that they didn't know. So if they say something that that we don't agree with, then they're obviously wrong because they were just too stupid. Kind of reminds me of the Middle Ages. Not personally, but... um, (laughs) The Middle Ages span from the end of the Roman Empire, 476 uh, A.D. to um, 1300 when the Renaissance started. The Middle Ages are often called the Dark Ages. Why are they called the Dark Ages? Who called them the Dark Ages? Well, it was the people in the Renaissance. They were so smart, you know, that in the Renaissance there was a great explosion of art and culture and all of that stuff, and went to the the end of the 1600s, you know, 300 years. And uh, the people in the Renaissance thought, well, we're smart, you know, we're so much better than the people who came before us. In fact, light was a symbol or an image for the Renaissance. And they said, we're just so much smarter than the people before us that they were in darkness. And so they called the Middle Ages the Dark Ages. But the Middle Ages weren't dark. I mean, science started in the Middle Ages. The university system started in the Middle Ages. Exploration started in the Middle Ages. It certainly did explode in the the Renaissance, but it started in the Middle Ages. So there's nothing dark about the Middle Ages. It was just the arrogance of the people in the Renaissance (laughs) called them ignorant and in darkness. Well, it's the same thing here. On the evolutionary scale, we are much smarter than the people who wrote the Bible were, so they can't be right. Okay, if we find something that we don't agree with what they said, then they're wrong. Inspiration is subjective. Here we get into neo-orthodoxy, a later form of, of this liberal criticism. <clears throat> Inspiration has to do with how the Bible affects you. Now, as we saw earlier, inspiration relates to the text. <clears throat> we talked about plenary verbal inspiration. Okay, The whole Bible is inspired and every word is inspired by God. We'll talk more about that uh, a little later. But they're saying, no, 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 no. Inspiration has to do with how it affects you personally it's an if it if it affects you and gives you an idea or makes you want to get up and do something it inspires you then it is inspired but if it doesn't inspire you then it's not inspired Uh, it goes along with that yeah relativism yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah, that statement, uh, as one person put it, commits suicide, yeah, because as soon as you say it, you know, it contradicts itself and proves itself untrue, yeah. Relativism, the idea that there are no absolute, that there is no absolute truth, is is self-defeating. There are basically four contradictions, any one of which prove that relativism can't be true. We're not going to get into those, we get through this, <laughs> So God is not inspired in, or not involved in inspiration. It's all about how the text affects you. A little bit of a caution here with this idea. So this focuses on human discovery. Again, God is not in the picture. It's not divine revelation. You can make your own truth, (laughs) you know, your own uh, reality. And i put this quote up which is a quote that i heard with my very own ears uh, listen for the word of god i heard that uh, at a church service i i think it must have been in the late 70s i was driving down here to spend christmas with my parents and i stopped off in sequoia where my brother was working at the national park there And he and his family just moved there, and so they were looking for a church. So we went to church service, evening church service, just so they could check out the church. So we're sitting there, and the pastor gets up, and he gets the Bible out, and he said, we're going to read from the Bible, and he said, listen for the Word of God. Now, what should he have said? Listen to the Word of God. And as soon as he said, "Listen for the word of God," my brother and I looked at each other. <laughs> my brother said, "Well, I guess this isn't the church for us." <laughs> but that's a neo-orthodoxy. He's going to read from the Bible. If it impresses you, then it's the word of God for you. It's all feeling. Yeah, it's all feeling. If the, if it doesn't impress somebody else, then it's not the word of God for that person. So. You don't listen for the Word of God. If somebody reads the Bible, you're listening to the Word of God. But he's denying inspiration. Does that mean on
1: some days it's inspired and other days it's not?
0: Exactly. If you're reading along and a verse pops out at you and you think, wow, that's a good idea, (laughs) then that's the Word of God for you. The next day you might read the same verse and it doesn't do that. That's not the Word of God.
1: about all this is that um, this is um, the approach of unregenerate um, people and until I received Christ, even though I I understood the text of what I was reading uh, I started reading the book of Acts for example very simple to understand, very easy to understand, it didn't make sense to me until I had been saved, until I looked at it with um, a, a born-again um, viewpoint. And um, none of this <coughs> takes into account the reader. All of this is focused, at, and, and this is not a bad thing, it's focused on, um, on God inspiring the text or not inspiring the text. But also there has to be the, uh, the opposite, uh, the reader has to read the text
0: with a regenerated mindset or it's not going to make sense to you right yeah there are three parts to this um actually not specifically related to hermeneutics well sort of three things there's inspiration where god make sure the word is correct then there's illumination when the spirit opens your mind to it and then there's application You <laughs> know what are you going to do about it <laughs> and the spirit directs you in that as well yeah so you got to have that otherwise as you said it's just going to be words on the page so listen for the word of god that's neo-orthodoxy that's uh, liberalism so more basic principles here they start by saying there's no practical supernatural practical means in time and space god does not invade time and space he's out there somewhere but he doesn't that so that wipes out the incarnation (laughs) it wipes out the crucifixion and all of that stuff so the miracles and all of that those things didn't happen here where we are now in time and space. So all of those miracles, healings, and all of that stuff occurred outside of time in a place where the liberals call supra, history. Supra, the Latin prefix meaning above or outside of. So all of those accounts, like in the Gospels when Jesus is healing people, no one was really healed there. That's a myth. That's a story that happened way out there, someplace out there. (laughs) But it's not real here. So there's no divine intervention. (coughs) So man encounters God only on a subjective level, perhaps a psychological level, not in time and space. God does not come down. So again, there's no incarnation. There's no... God walking around in human flesh, associating with people. He's still way out there in supra-history. We have a problem with this, of course. It's kind of self-contradictory. If God connects with mankind, even on a subjective psychological level, he's still coming into time and space where people are. Mm -hmm. If he's out there and we're in here and he comes in here, then so it kind of contradicts itself. evolution applies to religion again we're going from the Darwinian concept of simple to complex so these critics said that as mankind developed along the evolutionary scale his concept of God changed and became more complex the more his mind developed the more the smarter he got basically uh the more complex his concept of God became. So people lower people. Beings, organisms lower in the evolutionary scale, the missing link, you know, pre-humans, <laughs> subhumans. Their concept of God was very simplistic because they were simplistic. Mm-hmm. Their minds were were not developed yet, as ours are. Mm-hmm. So the thousand years thought <coughs> on this, so a thousand years are gonna look back at the Christmas we we're splitting into I think like it was nine factions. Mm, a lot more than the last, a lot more than that. Last, <laughs> nine of the big ones. Yeah. Um, in the last two years, when
1: it's up as really hmm. named. That's just getting more complex. So it's actually kind of following that model.
0: Um, actually, no. Okay. It would be just the opposite. It would be the second law of thermodynamics because it was a single organization and functioning as a thing now it's (laughs) dissipating so it's kind of the opposite so as mankind developed uh, along the evolutionary scale his brain got smarter and so his concept of God got smarter, (laughs) more complex so the people who who wrote the Bible were way down there on the evolutionary scale so their concept of God was still very simplistic not like ours so this is the way they outline religion. <clears throat> it started out with animism, which they say is a very simple form. Um, spirits inhabit the natural objects. There's a spirit in the rock, there's a spirit in the river, there's a spirit in the tree, there's a spirit in the eagle, there's a spirit in the bear. Native tribes get their totem poles <laughs> from this idea. It's based on animism. You know, The totem poles are basically honoring the different spirits. Then as man developed, he developed, his religion developed into polydemonism, where you have many spirits and usually bad. Okay? Not necessarily inhabiting things, natural objects, they're just out there. And then as man continued to develop and his brain got more complex, he went to polytheism, many gods and usually good. And then finally you get to modern man who developed the concept of monotheism, where you have one god, And in most cases, good. I suppose it depends on your perspective. Muslims think that Allah is a very good and merciful God. People who don't believe (laughs) in Allah are in trouble. (laughs) They would not see him as a good and merciful God. But anyway, that's the development of religion, and it developed along with man's development through the evolutionary or along the evolutionary scale the practical application when it comes to Scripture is that the Bible writers could not write beyond their concept of God in this uh, evolution of religion. So way back in Genesis they were so primitive not nearly as smart as we are they may be back here at the animism level. And if they're gonna write anything It's going to be at that level. Well, that's a problem because the Bible has rather complex images of God. So they're saying, but that means those people back there couldn't have written it because they weren't developed enough to write it yet. So it had to have been written later. So it kind of, they're trying to pull the rug out from under Scripture. So they say that several writers compiled the Pentateuch, the first five books, and later on what they wrote was put together by an editor. And Somebody slapped the name Moses on there. Moses probably wasn't a real person. Somebody just used the name. Maybe because of his standing in Exodus and leading the people, they said, if we say this was written by Moses, then you know, it will have some authority. <coughs> Excuse me. The rest of Scripture then was written much later than than it is ascribed, because the people back then were too stupid to write it as it is. And their their concept of God was was not that developed yet. So we get in here to the documentary hypothesis. This relates to the first five books of the Bible, the Law, the Pentateuch. We might get through this. We'll see. So this is the documentary hypothesis, and you're gonna hear this if you do any kind of, of reading or talking with people who hold to liberalism. This is their argument. I kind of put this argument together, you know, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth, I'm just trying to condense what they say to make it a little more systematic. Okay. But these these are their basic points. Uh, The major premise, the people at the time of the Pentateuch were too primitive to hold more than one view of something at the same time. Their minds were so simple that they could think of only one thing at a time, (laughs) one idea at a time. The minor premise, the Pentateuch contains a variety of viewpoints. So what's the conclusion? The pentateuch had to have been written by more than one person if the people back then couldn't think of more than one thing at a time and yet you have several viewpoints at the same time there must be different people involved in that that's their rationale so the the basic theory i kind of already mentioned this is that the pentateuch was written by four writers and those writings were later put together by an editor some unknown person <clears throat> again they're going on the evolutionary idea that the people back then were too primitive their minds were not developed yet since the bible the pentateuch here specifically and this documentary hypothesis applies only to the pentateuch the first five books the people weren't smart enough to write the Bible as we see it today. At least not one person was smart enough to do that. So, they have four documents. The first one they label as J, which stands for Jehovah or Yahweh. So, any place in the first five books of the Bible where you have a passage in which God is identified as Jehovah, that was written by this guy. All of those passages, no matter where they occur in the Pentateuch, they were written by this guy because he could conceive of God by the name of Jehovah and he couldn't conceive of God by any other name. Again, the people were too primitive to have more than one idea at a time. (laughs) So his name for God was Jehovah and he could not possibly imagine another name for God. So all the Jehovah passages were written by this guy. The second document they labeled E for Elohim. All the passages in the Pentateuch that name God Elohim were written by a different guy. That was his name for God. He couldn't have thought of God as both Elohim and Jehovah at the same time. He was too stupid. So he wrote about God using the name Elohim. That's the E document. Then you have the D document which is for Deuteronomy because that is not like any of the other books. it's a review of the law okay so it's a little more complex thinking than the other books these guys would say so that was written by a third guy and then finally you have the P document which stands for priestly any passages in the in the Pentateuch mostly it'd be Leviticus and part of Exodus dealing with the law the tabernacle the priesthood the sacrifices that had to be written by somebody else because the other people couldn't write what they wrote and write this at the same time because they couldn't think of more than one thing at a time they were too stupid so four documents this is why it's called the documentary hypothesis and hypothesis is a good word it means it hasn't been proved yet (laughs) and there is no evidence for any of this this is just a response to the idea that the bible was inspired They start out by denying inspiration. There is no God, so there is no inspiration. This is a purely human book. Well, if there is no inspiration and evolution is true, how did it come about? So they came up with this idea. (laughs) Just, oh yeah, it could have worked that way. Some people have done this. You might want to try it. They got four different color pencils. They went through the Pentateuch, and every passage that named God by using Jehovah, they colored a particular color, like red. Then they went through the Pentateuch, and all the verses, all the passages that that named God using Elohim, they had another color, like yellow. And they did the same thing with the Deuteronomy and the priesthood. So you have kind of a patchwork. So my question is if you have these four separate documents all distinct from each other because they're dealing with different issues and they had to be done over periods of time when this editor came along and put them together why did he scramble them like that <laughs> that makes no sense yeah yeah I mean, he's got these four documents, so he says, oh, I'll use this one first, and then the second one, and then I'll go back to the first one, and then... <laughs> why? It makes no sense. But um, nobody accused liberals of making sense. The, the editor must have been really far back on the scale. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, that would be their point, because he could see all these things at the same time, so he had to be later. <laughs> yeah. Just not as far back. Yeah, just not as far back as it. Is. <clears throat> so that's basically the documentary hypothesis. Okay. Questions or comments about that? We're going to go back to basic principles. I think this is the last slide for the liberal method. So. Um, We're going to stop there because they have only a couple minutes left. So, um, again, any comments or observations about any of that so far? Questions? Confusions? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the years, people have tried to prove the Bible is untrue and everything when it gets right down to it you can't it can't no in most cases well maybe most cases is too strong in many cases those who try to disprove it end up believing it <laughs> because that the
1: archaeologists that try to prove some of these people never existed always find the evidence
0: right yeah, so they, you know, they at least that those people are honest enough to go with the evidence. You know, they, they do this, the research and they find the evidence and they say, Oh, I guess it's true. <laughs> yeah. The Bible is, 10 commandments is based on such basic common sense. It really covers all
1: others. It really is just common sense. Right. It's common sense to say, don't kill Mm
0: somebody, because you do not even want to kill yourself.
1: Yeah. Common sense says, don't rob the next one, because you would not want somebody to be like Mm you. It's just basic common sense. Right. So it it, covers everything.
0: You may have heard about the case years ago now, some school, I forget where, somewhere in America, where they had uh, the Ten Commandments posted on the wall. And the principal wanted it taken down because he said if the students read those they might be tempted to obey them. (laughs) Duh. And how do these people account
1: for the fact that in hundreds and hundreds of cases the Bible, when it is introduced to an individual or to a society makes a huge change in that individual or in that society. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible has had such a tremendous positive influence uh, on so many <coughs> communities and, uh, and nations and individuals. Uh, there is no accounting for that in, uh, in these liberal approaches.
0: No, I I have never heard a liberal give a, any kind of answer to that, and that's that's one a good strong point in apologetics, you know the impact of the Bible, what it's had on the individual and and cultures around the world, but they have no answer for it. They just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> well. <clears throat>
1: You're yeah. Don't know
0: the yeah. Ignorance just means to be unaware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agnostic is the Greek equivalent to ignorant. Mm-hmm. Ignorant is Latin. Agnostic is Greek. Um, <clears throat> do you remember that television program used to be on called America's Dumbest Criminals? Yes. Yeah. It's
1: still it still airs worthwhile. every day in Brawley
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah every day at work. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, criminals just don't think. And I, I don't want to offend anybody, but liberals just don't think. I mean, the, just one example, we're out of time. Really. <clears throat> Who is it that promotes abortion? Liberals. Right? Which people are likely to get abortions? Liberals. Liberal. This is death by attrition. Yeah. <laughs> liberals are killing themselves <laughs> through abortion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, excuse me. Well,
1: the Jewish thing is let's not have any more babies. Okay, don't.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. really. <laughs> 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 there no more liberals.
1: Yeah, there you go. But that's what argument is The women but that confidence itself because
0: if you abort the baby isn't that
1: be really a female baby alternative? Could be if you abort a female baby you're not giving her a chance to have the rights because she right. had a
0: new born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, there's just not a lot of thought behind these things. Yeah. So the liberals are the same in the same boat. <laughs> if they stopped and thought about these things, hopefully they would wake up. You never know. So, we will pick up there next time and finish up the liberal approach to uh, interpreting Scripture and then get on to the final one, which is the the um, uh, literal grammatical approach. So, let's close in prayer.